All right. Hello, hello. My name is Emery Nicole, and this is the very first episode of Free Game with Emery. I'm really hyped, and what better way to kick off my first episode than with my brother, my family, my husband. Day ones. Hey. <laughs> Day <laughs> ones. I think I'll tell the people a little bit how we met. Of course, through Desmond, it was uh, undergrad. Uh, you went to Duke. What mm -hmm. did you study at Duke? I studied econ and finance at Duke. Okay. 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 Yeah. So we had, we had some pretty good times. <laughs> yeah, you, are you going to tell them about the, the circumstances under which we met? The house that we lived in. Oh. We we lived in. Uh, the infamous homes. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, Ruben is one of six homes, and it's six of y'all That's it, six, yes. all best friends since high school, since yes. 2007, 2006, yeah. at least, and some of us much further back Longer. then. Yeah, since like elementary school? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we can't forget the one honorary member, because if he sees this, he's gonna be tight. Ah, uh, that's a fact. <laughs> Shout out to the songs, pistol songs. Okay. So we're just going to get straight into it. I'm going to run through my questions. So, Rude, where are you currently located? Uh, currently located in Brooklyn, New York, uh, in Bed-Stuy. And I've uh, been here for about uh, six or seven years. Um, and uh, came out here to teach um, at an all-boys school that was um, currently right down the street from where I live and have been around here and, and been working in education ever since. Okay, okay, okay. And you said you said, you told us what you studied at Duke. So what made you decide to go the Teach for America route? Yeah, uh, so, so I studied econ and finance at Duke. Um, and it was always the plan to go straight into uh, Wall Street. In fact, that's kind of why I decided to go to Duke in the first place. Uh, I had um, a mentor, uh, now a fraternity brother, shout out to the Noops, um, who, uh, who kind of, you know, um, gang gang um he kind of <laughs> he kind of in my first um, orientation week um, at duke in fact i guess pre-orientation when i was deciding which college i wanted to go to um he was uh, studying business he was making a ton of money um and investing was something that i was into at that time and you know still am um he said you know you go to the school uh because of the track record that it has and placing folks into jobs on wall street so I went there and uh, studied econ and finance and pretty much every elective class that I had. I tried to learn as much as I could about the financial markets. Um, I did a couple of internships um, on Wall Street uh, during the summers. Um, and I was working at J.P. Morgan, uh, which is funny. That kind of relates to what I'm doing right now. But we can talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but I was working at I was working at J.P. Morgan at that time. And um, um, I had one summer which was um, a really eye-opening summer. If y'all remember um, the BP oil spill back in 2010. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was, I was an equity research analyst um, during the summer of the BP oil spill. And I just so happened to be working on the team covering oil and gas services. So mm -hmm. the, the job is uh, you, you got a portfolio of stocks in a certain sector and it's your job to know every single thing about that stock and be able to like rate it basically. Is this right. a good time to buy this stock or is it time to sell because you know uh, the fundamentals are going the opposite direction. And uh -huh. so I remember that summer in particular being just super fun. Like every time I come into work, there'd be something new. Like I come into work and then no one would be talking to me, everybody's head down in their computer. And I'm like, yo, like what's happening? 
and they'll say, oh, the, the government just released indication that they're gonna you know, release this new legislation that's gonna fuck over all of our companies. Uh-huh. Or um, one of our companies just bought another one because like no one knew what was happening because this oil was leaking in real time that summer. Okay. And so uh, I thought like, yo, this is it. This is, this is where I wanna be. Like, this is the career for me. It was just so like kind of adrenaline packed. Um, and, and, and I love kind of developing expertise deeply on a narrow set of things. And so just like coming in every single day and like keeping up with the story on this portfolio of stocks was dope. All right. Yeah, that's, that's your wave. I don't know if I would find interest in that because you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a numbers girl. But I well. can definitely see how that is interesting. Um, so you end up going, you did teach for America. So mm-hmm. what, was, what do you feel like blossomed out of that? Like, was that, yeah. of course, led you to where you are today, so. For sure, yeah. So, so, so yeah, so coming out of that summer, I said, okay, this is what I wanna do. I was going into my, my junior year. So the summer before my senior year, uh, I did one final internship. I went back to JP Morgan and this time, um, I decided to work in the investment bank. And so this was uh, same company, different role. This job is uh, any of the big companies, um, like, you know, major multinational companies, uh, anywhere from like Walmart to the industrial companies that you may not hear of. Um, if they want to get a loan or if they want to buy another company um, or if they want to raise equity, um, get listed on the stock market, uh, you know, they go to the investment bank of JP Morgan where they, they handle those services for them. Uh, and so I said, you know, I, I like this work so much. Let me continue to do the same thing. Um, um, in the oil and gas sector, but just with this particular banking service. And I fucking hated it. It was terrible. Um, it, it, and, and it was in the, that moment I realized, oh, this, it wasn't necessarily like this work that I enjoyed, but it was like kind of the adrenaline of this work. It was like me being in this crisis and feeling like I was playing a part or like having a say into like this thing that's having global implications. Right. But once I got down to the day-to-day and being the summer right before my senior year, where I got to figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, and I'm doing this like monotonous, boring work for hours on end, even though I'm making a ton of money. I said, I, you know, I, I can't do this. Yeah. And there was this moment when I realized, Ams, I knew I couldn't do it um, because so, so investment banking is notorious for working really long hours, like 80 to 100 hour weeks is like standard. Um, and I hated every moment of it. And I remember one day I walked into the office. I shared an office with this guy named Matt Picarello. And um, I walk into the office, he was already there. He was like, Ruben, I figured it out. I was in the shower and I finally figured out how I can get this model to balance, like some Excel problem he was working on. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, huh, out of all the things that I could be thinking about in the shower, this bullshit ass work is not even close to being top of the list. It's not, it's not even close. And, and, and that's when I realized like, oh, like if I stay in this line of work, Matt Piccarello and people like him who love this will beat me every single day of the week because they are passionate about it. Yep. And I just don't feel good unless I'm doing work where I can excel and I can only excel if I'm passionate about that work. So I left that summer and said, I don't know what I want to do, but I know it's not this. Yeah, that's that's good, man. And shout out to the fact that like you found that early because there's some people yeah. in a career and it swung into the mundane schedule of the day to day. And it's just like, how do I make my exit? Like it was fresh, right. you know, it was mm-hmm. like no commitment to anything. So I commend you for that. So how yeah. long were you teaching with Teach for America before you went to you went to Brooklyn? Yeah, so 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 I came back that summer and, and, and came back to campus, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I had always been doing uh, mentorship and, and volunteering work. Uh, Hillside High School in Durham and, and just- Shout out to and, them, and a, and a bunch, Yeah, shout out, shout out to Bussy. <laughs> and, 
And, you know, I said, if I do teach for America, at the very least, I know I get to continue doing this mentoring work that I love so much and working with black male youth. And so let me just do this for two years and figure it out. And I applied to Teach for America. The way it works is you tell them, you know, like what you're interested in teaching, the cities that you're interested in, but they just basically kind of put you where they need you. Mm-hmm. And so I got placed uh, in uh, South Atlanta uh, teaching high school math. Um, I didn't want to be in Atlanta and I definitely didn't want to teach high school math. Uh, but both of those things ended up being uh, two of the most like best, most serendipitous like choices of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught at Tri Cities High School uh, in East Point, Georgia. And it's the high school that Outcast graduated from. Okay. Uh, where Real House, uh, where Candy from the Real Housewives of Atlanta is where she graduated from. Uh, this is a performing arts high school on the south side of Atlanta. So it was just like high school musical in the hallways for just like dope black kids, uh-huh. like dancing and singing. And it was just like, it was just so much joy in the school building. Yeah. When, and when, when you go in to teach for America, like the narrative is that like our schools are broken, like our kids are impoverished and they need your help. And it's, it's, it's a bit of like a savior complex that's inherent in that, in that, oh, in that yeah. kind of whole space. Um, and like, yeah. And, and so I saw that like there were definitely like systemic challenges. The schools needed more funding. Like teachers were teaching way too many students in one class. They were more, the, 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 the counselors were overworked. We needed more um, uh, school mental health resources. Um, and all of those things are systemic. But what I also saw was that like teachers were in that building long enough to have taught kids and then to talk those kids' kids. Like I, I saw the class of like the 90s and the early 2000s come back for homecoming and marching the marching band. Um, and I was like, oh, this is what community looks like. Like yeah. even though sometimes the kids be walking out of class, they be in the school building until nine o'clock at night because they feel safe and comfortable here. Uh, yeah, and, and that kind of shaped the way that I view education to this day. Yeah, yeah. You saw, you saw a need, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think those are the things like that we can hold on to, like at, at your core, that's your why. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's like always playing back in your mind. So even as an entrepreneur and we like, yo, like it ain't rocking right now these past few months, but you just go back mm-hmm. to your foundation. It's like, you know why you have to do this, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did you decide that you wanted to open your, own school and why a tech mm-hmm. yeah um but you know you were the first entrepreneur entrepreneur among us <laughs> you know um you know that's why i think that's our time at the homes crib and like we always talk about like we, we kind of mark your first kind of entrepreneurship uh, like the start of that being when you open up your own salon and literally put your name on the door which is like so dope and you were hella young when you did it um but really like you started your entrepreneurship journey like when we were in the homes crazy you had people going in and out you probably were making more money then than i made on wall street like just how many heads you was doing in a weekend you didn't sleep well it's busting them down <laughs> yeah um i say that because i think there's some people um like you who just have like kind of like the entrepreneurship gene like kind of embedded in their body um I don't necessarily think i was one of those I'm, i wasn't like the kid who was like selling candy on the school bus or anything like that or like you know, always said, you know, I'm gonna start my own business one day. Um, it kind of came because I saw a need and I felt like there's nobody else doing this thing and needs to be done. I'm uniquely positioned to do it. So fuck it, why not? Yes, yes. But that's all entrepreneurship is. Like you going out on your own thinking that you have the best solution. Like mm-hmm. forget what A says, forget what B says. This is my lane and I think it's better here. Mm-hmm. That's dope. So tell us about, tell us the name of your school. Yep about well i was about to say it <laughs> tell us about your school as well and yep. basically 
how that journey has been, highlights, anything that you would want somebody to know, like if they were trying to do this on their own, like all of mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you about the school. I think I kind of got to go back and tell you about where it came from. Okay. Um, so, so I left uh, Tri Cities High School because uh, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, uh, got into uh, wife now and, and, and mother to be. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, first one on the way. Yes. Um, and she got into grad school in New York. Uh, I didn't want to go to New York, but it was an opportunity we couldn't pass up, so we moved here. Uh, and uh, in New York, there's this kind of ecosystem of schools that, like. I didn't really know about as much growing up because they're not they're just not as big in Raleigh and Durham where we come from. Now they're kind of starting to pop up. Uh, but these uh, charter schools, they're publicly funded. They get money from the government, but they're privately operated. And essentially what the government says is like, we're going to allow you to do things your way. You can choose your own textbooks. You can choose your own school schedule. You can hire teachers on your own terms. But in return for this autonomy, we're gonna hold you to a higher standard. And if your school doesn't meet a certain benchmark in terms of test scores, performance, et cetera, uh, we're gonna shut you down. Um, and uh, these um, publicly funded, privately uh, operated charter schools, um, they, they vary in terms of quality across the country, but it just so happens that in certain cities like New York, uh, the highest performing schools, uh, publicly uh, funded schools are these charter schools. Um, many of them happen to have, have a connection to Teach for America. So I said, when I moved to New York, let me let me go work on one to see what they're about. Um, and there, there are a lot of uh, kind of political challenges and ideological issues uh, with these schools. But one of the things that like I, you know, I saw kind of objectively was like, they were moving students uh, from these underestimated backgrounds into to really high achieving uh, kind of academic positions mm -hmm. and sending them off to colleges at really high rates. And so I, I wanted to go and kind of see how the sausage got made. Right. Um, and so I was a teacher um, at one of uh, the high performing charter schools here in, in Brooklyn, New York. And then I became a, a, a dean, a school leader uh, at one. And when you're at a high school in one of these settings, like your clout is based on like, what percentage of students you send off to college each year. And the number is always 100%. You want, if you go to any of these uh, schools, Success Academies, Achievement First, KIPP, Uncommon Schools, et cetera, it's like, you, you better be able to say that I sent 100% of my students off to college. And that was like an eye-opening stat for me because you know coming from a, a regular traditional public school in a black community, um, like college going rates just aren't that high anywhere. Right, That's right. And so I'm like, what, what is, what's happening so that all of these kids are going to college? Um, a lot of hard work, a lot of really good teaching, and also a lot of questionable decisions. One of the things that I saw, Ams, was that in these schools, like some of my highest performing students, they would get into their top choice colleges, uh, but they often wouldn't get enough financial aid to be able to feasibly attend. Uh. Uh, right? And so, and so I would see, um, you know, students get into their top choice school, and then have to choose like how they move. They don't give them, get enough money. They can either A, choose to take out a ton of student loan debt. And I saw that happen over and over again. You know, the student who has a passion for marketing or PR or government, and then choosing to take out $30,000 a year. Right. It's like, you know, when you do the math, even when you're successful and you graduate and get that job, we know careers in that sector in this, in this city, you know, come out paying X amount of dollars. But we know to, to, to service that loan payment per month is, you know, $1,000, $700. You still have to live at home with your parents. Yeah. And so I saw those students come back and say, yo, I did everything right and I'm still behind. How? Mm -hmm. You lied to me. Yeah, yeah. that's like even down to the test scores of making sure that they all pass. Like that seems like a lot of weight. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, a, a, I guess a good motivational factor, but 
it can become aggressive like over oh, yeah. time because it's like you might want to teach or funnel education this way but mm -hmm. you gotta go by this system here and every child might not adapt to that mm -hmm. it's yeah. funny you bring that up yeah it, it just lets you know it's, it's common sense because one of the things that you see in those systems in those schools is that like it's in it that incentive like causes teachers sometimes and, and school leaders to do some fucked up stuff it's yeah. like you you yeah. walk into these school buildings it's like oh this feels oppressive why are all the white teachers yelling at these black kids what is going on here yeah, yeah. <laughs> so most definitely so. well we got like well i got 30 minutes on this thing i don't know if we got eight minutes left or what have you oh so. my bad Ams. I, I i thought we had an hour i was taking my time I, i'm talking I, shit I, 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 will, I think i just need to upgrade my pack nah, my bad next time we need oh to, no my... it's great this is good but we still got like a few more minutes to cover some more ground so if all you right let me talk let me talk about marcy lab yeah, let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so 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 all that to say uh, I saw I saw too many kids getting fucked up with my college and so I said like I think I can start my own yeah I think yeah. I think we can start I think we can start I our own college so. yeah. <laughs> yeah and so and, and so we said hey we're here in New York City and, and the tech sector is booming out here um, it's, it's booming so much so that people are looking under the mattress, in the closet, around the corner for talented people who can do this work and they don't care what they look like, they don't care where they come from. If we can create the network with these companies, uh, the relationships with these companies, and then find students and train them so that they can be competitive for those roles, we know that we can get them high paying jobs with or without a college degree. All right. And so, and so, and so we said, we'll do just that. We, we got a bunch of companies here in New York City um, that hire a ton of technical talent, particularly software engineers, the people who build the apps that we, that we use every day. And we said, yo, what, what do you need in order to feel confident hiring somebody, especially if they're black and brown, especially if they come from a non-traditional background, meaning they don't have a computer science degree. They said, well, first of all, the computer science programs in colleges is all outdated anyway, so we really don't give a fuck about that. Right. And, and, and then they said, well, th this is what we really do care about. And in fact, we've already been hiring a lot of people who don't have college degrees anyway. And so that, that told us that all we have to do is put the conditions in place for employers to get over the bias that comes with hiring black and brown kids and, and, and uh, hiring younger talent. And if we can do that, then we can get these young people really good jobs. And that has been, been true. Uh, yeah. We just finished our first cohort uh, and our students are um, routinely getting jobs, 80, 90, yes. $100,000 per year at age 19, 20 years old, no student loan debt. My gosh, like that, like I don't, I don't know if you've like processed it or digest that, but do you know a shift that like can come with that? Like think about for us, like I know I could say for me, like I don't use my degree at all. And <laughs> you know, it's been drilled, higher education, higher education, higher education, but like mm -hmm. other pathways and just the fact that like people are connected to you, like you yeah. opening your school created opportunities and like, I'm just, I'm just thinking about so much, like even for their household, like how does that make you feel? Yeah, um, really, really motivated and really good. Like I, I think like, I remember the first time a student came, came back with a, a $100,000 job offer. Uh, this is uh, just an incredible student whose family immigrated here from Mexico. Their family owns a restaurant um, and, you know, they, they just are, you know, working for the American dream. They're doing everything for their kids. And then we was on the phone FaceTime when she gave her mom that letter and, and had that number on there. And mom and everybody, we just was crying. Like, oh this, is, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Oh, my gosh. That's so good, Rube. How long has Marcy Lab been open? 
just a year, I guess a year and some change. We're graduating our first cohort in September and we got another one starting in September too. Yes, yes, man. So since like everything's virtual, how have you all adapted now to going in a virtual world? Are there some things that you feel that you'll change, like roll out when the world is open back up? Are you yeah. going to like allow students to stay home? Like what does that look like? Yeah, we're just uh, leaning all the way into virtual learning right now and seeing where that takes us. Um, software engineering, like coding, that type of work, it actually works really well in a remote setting because it forces you to kind of develop some habits that are really good to have on the job, especially because some of these jobs, a lot of them are going remote anyway. Right. Uh, the, the only thing that we're kind of concerned about and are thinking really intentionally about is like, how do we develop those bonds, those friendships? because those were the kind of the, the center point, like the rock of this past cohort. Things get hard and they know they have family that's counting on them to like stay in this program and finish together. And so we just want to make sure that the, these folks, uh, even uh, on online, have that same type of connection. Yes, that's good, that's good. Oh, Rube, I'm so proud of you. I, Thank you. I, I am so proud of you. It feels good to know you. Um, and I will say like from one entrepreneur to another, I definitely have been like taking my time and smelling my roses and really appreciating like my village because they share and see like the nitty gritty of it. Mm -hmm. You are always loved. You are always supported. I appreciate that. Like bless up so many blessings your way. Like I'm extremely happy for you. I appreciate it. You know, we just, it's about what we, what we tell the students is about paying it forward. Like it's about these students who have gotten jobs. It was about the opportunities they're going to open up for other people who come after them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I hope that our work can do the same thing. It's like we're going into these companies, Spotify and, and Citibank and New York Times and saying, you know, hey, y'all have hired folks who don't have college degrees to do some of the hardest jobs in your building. Surely you can look at somebody without a college degree for this damn right. digital marketing job or for this this job that you have someone requiring a, a PhD or MBA for. That is just, you know, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's it. Yes. Great story. I thank you for your time. I, I thank appreciate you, sis. Yeah, sharing your story with us. This was truly an honor. I can't wait to see y'all soon. That's right. It's going to happen. <laughs> yes, I miss my family. Everybody's like all space. I know. I, I know. Nah, you, you, you got you to be around when that baby comes too. Yes, yes. A- yes. A- added another girl to the mix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking like, because people was asking dads and me like, when y'all going to start again? I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. But yeah, this was great. I thank you so much for your time again. All right, I appreciate you. All right, bye. See you, bro. Bye.